0: Welcome to Awaken Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching.
1: All right, my friends, if you want to make your way back to your seats, that would be great. Uh, I was, uh, These guys back here, they're just rocking and rolling. Good for you. That's great. Uh, hi, my name's Micah. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. Uh, that, my friends, was a deep cut from the album Parachutes by Coldplay. Can I get, a, can I get an amen on that one? I was at uh, 5 Watt this morning. Every, every Sunday I go to Brugger's and get a bagel, and then I go down to 5 Watt and I get a cup of coffee and I sit there. And uh, my, my friend barista Tracy had this album spinning, and I was like, Tracy, man. Thank you for reminding me. One of the best albums of my lifetime, front to back. So I I thought I'd give that gift to you this morning. You're welcome. Um, Like I said, my name's Micah, and I'm glad you're here. Um, If you are new, we're really glad you're here. We'd love to know that you were. So if you wouldn't mind filling out a little connection card from our website, uh, you can click on the I'm new button on our little homepage there. Let us know that you were here. We'll reach out to you, invite you out for a drink of your choice, get to know you, give you a chance to get to know us a little bit. Uh, For those that call Awaken home, a couple things we want to highlight for you, the first of which is November, Uh, kind of our focus as a a missional team, there's a group of us that gather monthly uh, to sort of be thinking about, praying about what are the the partnerships that Awaken is intentionally a part of and in, and one of them is uh, an organization called The Lift, it's on the east side, and they are gathering uh, resources for families in their neighborhood for uh, Thanksgiving dinners, so uh, we'd love to help with that. Next week, the 14th, and the week after the 21st, you can bring those items here. Someone will be in the back, in the gallery, uh, collecting those. And the list for those items is on the website and in the Awaken Weekly. So uh, let's go ahead and do that together. Uh, Number two, there is a second half of life uh, gathering. So these are folks who self-defined, Okay, Self-defined second half of lifers. Uh, If you feel like you're in that category, we would love to gather you together um, for some fun and some, uh, some conversation. Uh, That's going to be here at Awaken, 730 November 15th. So um, you can register online so we know that you're coming. That'd be great. And last but not least, uh, winter market's coming up. Advent, 28th of November, begins the church calendar and the season of Advent. Every Sunday in Advent, there will be four artists from our community who are offering the things that they make. And you can purchase them uh, in the back in the gallery. So uh, that list... Will be made known, so you know who's coming when. And if that, uh, if you're interested in participating as an artist, uh, you can go online. Uh, actually, I think you can just email Melody. So it's Melody at Awaken West Seventh, and uh, she'll get you set up with that. Sound good? Last but not least, Trunk or Treat 2021. <laughs> you guys. I literally could not stop giggling all afternoon. I was like a kid in a candy store. Uh, You all, like, totally, completely blew my expectations out of the water. Like, the trunks and the quality and the creativity of the trunks that were represented, except for mine, (laughs) were amazing, were amazing. I kept telling Laura. I'm like, honey, I can't do everything well. I can't plan this event and cast the vision for it and then win the best trunk. That wouldn't be be cool. Next year, we are committed to having a better trunk than we did this year. But you guys, I mean seriously, amazing! And there were like over 300 people who just like wandered through our parking lot, kids and and like 90% of them I'd never seen before in my life. So, um, like as a pastor, I've said this before: there are uh, you know no one gets into this business because they're they're planning to make a whole bunch of money. Um, It's kind of like teachers and librarians. But we do it because we love it. We love the work. And there are days when, like, the curtain gets pulled back and you get to see what God is up to. And my youth, my youth ministry prof, R.J. Kerper, he said, Micah, to our class, you know, this job is thankless. And oftentimes you'll give, 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 and no one will ever know. And it's hard work and you won't get paid enough. But there will be moments when God pulls back the curtain. And those, my friend, those are paydays. So remember them. And last Sunday was a giant So well done. That is what the church looks like in action. When we talk about this idea of like what it means to be the people of God in the world, and it's theoretical and it's an idea out there, like that is what it looks like. So um, remember that, friends. Don't forget it, uh, because we'll be doing more of it, right? Okay. So exciting. <clears throat> um, today, we are in week four of a series called Faith and Doubt. If you've been with us, uh, you, you, you're familiar with this. If you're new, um, this is a series about really the journey of spiritual life. Uh, we, we, we started in week one and just sort of set the table with a, a framework for how to see and understand where we might find ourselves in the spiritual journey. So if you remember this graphic, uh, simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. So over the course of one's spiritual life, we move in and through this. And actually, um, arguably, this is something, it's more like a spiral, right? We keep doing this in ways as we we progress in life. Um, And this hopefully gives us a a framework, a grounding sense of, like, why this series is important and um, gives some color, right? Uh, We started with Nicodemus and looked at his journey uh, from dark to light, standing at the foot of the cross at the end of his life giving uh, Jesus a burial worth, worthy of a king. Last week we looked at Thomas and uh, the questions that Thomas asked. You know, he's, the, he's on record the only one who, who voices his questions and his doubt. And then is the one who declares Jesus Lord and God. Uh, this week I want to look at Jesus. Um, in the Gospel of Matthew we find from chapters like 5 to 8 uh, Jesus' most famous message. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And arguably, this is the text, this is the ethic, this is the sort of teaching that the New Testament followers of Jesus held closest. Before they ever had Paul, before they ever had the epistles, which we kind of like highlight now, we're like, oh, well, Paul said it, it's got to be good enough. The earliest Christians would have had this. So this is a really, really important set of teachings, uh, and we're going to look to it because Jesus offers this phrase that I think is an invitation Uh, is resonant with this series of Faith and Doubt. He calls into question a few things. So I'm going to ask my friend Alec to come and read the text. Uh, This is sort of select readings from Matthew chapter 5. So if you are able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the word, and then we'll dive
0: in. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you.
1: Would you pray with me? God, this morning as we turn our attention to uh, these teachings, which <clears throat> seems so long ago and so far away, uh, I pray that by your spirit you would make them near uh close to us and uh spirit i ask that you would lead and guide us uh, to help us see and hear the things that you would have for your church today Uh, jesus said you have heard it said but i say unto you and i wonder if that is still happening today and if it is help us to hear it i pray in christ's name and by the power of the spirit the church said together amen you may be seated Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Six different times in this passage. You have heard this. You grew up in this system. You understand this religion. You read the Torah. So you've heard the teachings and you've heard the interpretations. You've heard the rabbis say this, but I say to you this. As a side note, Jesus does it. Paul, the apostle, does it in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I would just say, or maybe invite you to consider, why are we so afraid to do it? Jesus says, you've heard it said this, but I say unto you this. You've heard about these teachings, this way of thinking, this way of understanding this passage, but here's another way to look at it. Here's another way to think about it. Um, This morning, what I want to do is uh, less... Interpreting the six different things that Jesus talks about—I don't want to go into the details about, you know, uh, first he he takes on the, uh, a number of things in in what's called the uh, uh, the Ten Commandments, the first couple challenges that he gives, and then he moves on into deeper or more obscure Torah passages. I don't want to unpack those necessarily, uh, but I'd rather kind of zoom out a little bit and 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 look at what is Jesus doing by by saying what he says, right? So it's less about the specifics of the interpretations and more about What's he doing when he says, you've heard this, but I say this? Uh, And I hope that um, in doing that, it invites us further into this series of faith and doubt. That uh, faith and the life of faith and the spiritual life will always uh, include, have present questions, wonderings. Could it be more than that? Is that the best way to think about it? Based on new information, new technology, new science, new understandings about the human and the world that we live in, is it possible that maybe this teaching isn't quite big enough? Right? And I think it will. Um, there was, in Jesus's time, a general consensus around Torah and scripture passages and the interpretations of those passages and really what they meant for the life of the Jew. And there was lots of debate about the nuance of that, but... Jesus calls into question some of these generally accepted ways of thinking about it. He's introducing new and different, and in most cases, the furthering of or the deepening of these teachings and these passages. In essence, Jesus is saying, we can keep going. We haven't arrived. So whatever conclusion the church, the religious institution has come to, We can keep going. There's more. And we'll unpack a little bit of why I believe that that's true. Uh, And in many ways, that's what this series is about. That faith in the spiritual life is not about the arrival at a particular or certain conclusion. Rather, it is about relating to this thing that we call God. This pursuit of the infinite source of all things. And that pursuit, I would argue, will always have both trust, faith, belief, and question, wondering, doubt. Um, It will have an emergent property to it, if you will. Always becoming, emerging. So, I want to introduce, I want to notice a couple of things that Jesus is doing in this passage. Uh, First, I want to really go right into the text, and related to what the text is saying. And then I want to move kind of beyond, or outside of, like very high level, almost like philosophical. So if any of you enjoy that type of work, uh, hang on for point two. Uh, and then last, I want to I want to finish um, really kind of down to earth, right where we are here and now. Okay. Uh, so that's sort of the the map. I don't know about you, but I love maps. I actually have a number of them hanging in my in my house. And whenever I'm in your seats and someone up here doesn't give a road map, I'm just like. for Come on, just tell me where we're going, please. Just puts my heart at ease, you know? So I do that for you people in the room <clears throat> and for myself to keep us on track. Okay, friends, are you ready? Let's go then. Uh, numero uno I want to suggest that the questions that Jesus asks, the, the new interpretations that he offers, actually reflect and display Jesus' commitment to the scriptures. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Could be taken as like a, a critique or a, a wandering away from. Um, but I want to suggest that Jesus' questions, his, the doubt or the new interpretation that he's offering, actually displays his deep commitment to scripture. Sometimes when you ask questions, it can feel like uh, the thing that's being questioned is being attacked. Right? Or undermined. You know, we're cutting the legs out from underneath that idea or that belief. Uh, maybe you've been in that room when someone's doing that. Maybe you've been the person doing that. Sometimes it goes something like this, right? My coworker, uh, hypothetically speaking, of course, some of my coworkers are here. This is not about you, okay? <laughs> my coworker offers a solution to a problem, a challenge that we have as a team. And I don't think that that solution is a good solution. I don't think that it's going to help move us in the right direction or get us where we need to go. And so I start asking questions about the solution, right? I start uh, sort of picking it apart. I start kind of needling it, trying to poke holes in it. um, Because I don't believe in it. I'm not committed to it. I have no faith in it. I'm outside of the thing looking in on it or looking down on it. And I have no investment in the idea or or hope for its success, right? Sometimes when we question something or are skeptical about something, it can be that. And I don't think that's what Jesus is doing at all. In fact, I think the the very opposite is true. If you back up and start reading just before we started in verse 17 of chapter 5, you you hear Jesus saying, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And then he goes into this this, uh, very used rabbinic phrase about no letter, not even the smallest letter of the law will be lost doesn't come to tear it down, to poke holes in it, or stand outside of it, but rather, Jesus is saying, <clears throat> he's fully inside the system. He has a, a, an investment in it. He's not there to tear it down or poke holes in it, but rather to take it further or deeper, not from the outside, but from the inside. So first, when we think about you know, this teaching and in this series and kind of what I'm offering to you as provocation... I think it's important to stop and remind ourselves that where you are in relation to the thing you're questioning is really important. Where you are in relation to the thing you have questions about is informative. Are you standing outside of something, critiquing it, poking holes in it with no investment in its success or in its future? Or are you somewhat inside of the thing, offering critique or question of the thing? See, those two postures are very, very different. And I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong, but they yield different fruit. And I would argue that they, 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 they give you a, a lens into or a view into the posture and heart of the person asking the questions. If you happen to be with a group of people Friends of yours, people that you're doing life with, who are asking questions or critiquing maybe something that you all have believed in the past, where are the people asking the questions? Are they invested in the thing, or are they standing outside of the thing critiquing it with no investment or hope for its future? Do you see what I'm saying? That's a really important thing to stop and think about as we think about faith and doubt. Questions. And I want to suggest that Jesus is, like, right in the middle of it. He's not standing outside of it. He's saying, no, I haven't come to abolish the law, to tear it down, to to deny it, but rather, actually, to take it further. Like what Paul does with Jesus in the New Testament, where he says, the law could only do so much, or the writer of Hebrews, the law could only do so much, it was incomplete in some sense. Jesus takes it and completes it, fulfills it. So, first, Jesus is inside the system. He's inside the thing. Asking questions, pushing, provoking, saying we can go further, we can take this deeper. Second, Jesus is interested in taking it further because he believes that Torah is life. Craig Keener, who's a a really brilliant commentator, writes this. Uh, He says, noting that both the greatest commandment, he's talking about the greatest commandment in Judaism, which is uh, often thought of as honoring your parents from Exodus chapter 20, And the least of the commandments, which is about caring for a bird's nest in Deuteronomy. So he takes these two things, like the greatest and the least of the commandments bore the same promise do this and live. So, what Torah, the scriptures, are offering, whether it's the greatest of the commandments or the smallest, the least, the most insignificant of the commandments, is do these things and live. What's he saying? Within Judaism, there was a commitment to this understanding that God's word, Torah, scripture, was life. That it wasn't 613 laws that weighed you down and felt like an anchor around your neck. But actually, if you stepped into them and if you attempted to live the things that they taught, that they would bring about flourishing and wholeness and life. For you, for your body, for your culture, for your your people, for the world, for the birds. Said differently, God's intentions, embodied by Jesus, captured in Torah in Scripture, brought about flourishing and wholeness and life. And to heed them, to submit to them, to live under their authority or under their direction, was to pursue life. Jesus believed this was true, which is why he's inviting them further into the exploration of God's word. So I guess a question for us to ask is, what do we believe will bring life? Now, of course, the church traditionally and historically has said, you know, the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Right? That will bring life. God's word. God's word. The word of the Lord. Sorry. (laughs) Doesn't that just sound weird coming out of my... (laughs) Yeah, it does. i got to be honest. So, you know, the church has said... This book, in some way, represents or captures or taps into something that will bring about life and wholeness and flourishing. And Jesus seems to be pretty committed to that idea. And as much as I may uh, use humor to make a point, I want to actually offer it again today. That even in our denomination, in our tradition, right, the first affirmation of the covenant is the centrality of the scriptures, which is to say we're committed to the, the revelation of God in the Word. First and foremost, in the Christ, in the beginning was the Word, that's John 1. It's not talking about this, it's talking about Jesus, right? So the Word of God revealed is Christ, and this book attests to, bears witness to, this revelation. And those teachings, that body of work, that offering, I believe... And the tradition that we stand in the midst of believes brings life. Now, there are some weird passages of Scripture. Can I get an amen? We spend a summer series talking about those called Lost in Translation. So I'm not ignoring those, but I am offering to you again the possibility that the teachings of Jesus and Scripture which bears witness to his life actually invites us to The fullness of humanity. Not the diminishment of humanity. Not the exclusion of anyone's humanity, but actually the fullness of. And so it's a question I think we ought to wrestle with. What do we believe will bring life? Said differently, whose words are you listening to? What words are you listening to? Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you and introduces an invitation to go further into the the scriptures because he believes that it brings life and so i would just offer that for you to consider this morning is that true i'll well maybe obviously but i'll stake my claim on that one um, so that's my first observation jesus in the text in the in the system inviting us to go further, not standing outside of it, critiquing it, because he's committed to the the belief that it is actually the way to life and flourishing. So, let's zoom out a little bit. Um, Here's how I would say this. Jeff, can you throw that slide up? If God is infinite, put on your thinking caps, by the way, Surgeon General's warning, I believe that you can go there with me, so stick with me. If God is infinite, then Knowledge of God cannot be exhausted. If God is infinite, the divine, then our knowledge of God, our understanding of God, cannot and will not be exhausted. We cannot and will not arrive at the conclusion. Rather, it is a journey. A life of faith. Um... Let's flesh this out a little more. Uh, Epistemology, by the way, is uh, by the definition, it's essentially the theory of or the study of knowledge. So how do we know what we know or what can we know? Uh, What do we know, right? So if we begin with the assumption that the subject of our inquiry is finite, well, then we can master that. Uh, Here we go. No, I need a piece of paper. Does anybody have an envelope in the back of their pew? Here we go, perfect. Okay, here we are. If we believe that the subject of our inquiry is finite, then we can master it. We can come to the end of it, right? This piece of paper, it has boundaries and it has edges. It is quantifiable, it's measurable, It's has a size. And we can inquire about this envelope, and we can essentially come to the end of it, right? Our understanding of it where it's like we've sort of exhausted the possibility of knowledge of this piece of paper. But imagine if this piece of paper had no beginning and had no end, and it went on in each direction, well, I guess in these directions, infinitely. Then our understanding, our inquiry of that subject is infinite. It, it cannot be exhausted. Arguably... For many of us, myself included, my understanding of God was the piece of paper in some ways. That I can come to understand and master the subject of my inquiry. And this sounds very, like, clinical, but I think it works for the illustration. That we can create these systems and these categories for God, and then build a structure that we call theology. Systematic theology, of which there are nine studies. Soteriology, Hamardiology, Pneumatology, Ecclesiology, so on and so forth. The question I want us to ponder is like, what makes us open to the more, to the infinite inqui- uh, uh, source of our inquiry that we call God? If not, question. If not, doubt or could that be right is it is that right right in that moment i'm questioning and I, and without that we stay where we are in some ways and we function as if this is the subject of our inquiry but we know that if god is infinite then our ex- our, our exhaustion of the subject is Infinite. We can't. We can't get to the end of it. Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And I want to I I invite us to think about the fact that maybe Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, is, yeah, it's a declaration about the interpretation of a scripture, but is it also an invitation to the never-ending inquiry of the, myster- the mystery that we call God? You have heard it said, but I say to you. You've understood this, but there's more. The search for God in the spiritual life, I would argue, is as much a journey of relationship as it is in an acquisition of knowledge. Let me say that again. The search for God in the spiritual life is as much a journey of relationship as it is the acquisition of knowledge. Because God, for us is an emergent being, always becoming more, because our understanding of God is always expanding. Not that God, in essence, is changing, but our perspective, our understanding, our, rela- our relating to, is deepening and growing, right? So maybe even as we think about what does it mean to know God, it would be helpful to think less about the acquisition of knowledge and more about the the emergent properties of a relationship that we are always relating to and always expanding and growing into. Now, for some people I recognize, that sounds very scary. Because it's like, well, where's the floor? What's the bottom? What's the foundation? Like, And to some of you, it's like, that sounds so fun and exciting! And all of that is in the room. And that's okay. So if you feel a little nervous right now, that's okay. If you feel excited, that's also okay. The point I'm trying to make here is that I think when Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, I want to invite us to think about that as an invitation to being in relationship with and experiencing the infinite and expansive mystery that is God. That will always be more than what we currently know now that's why it's a journey that's why it's a lifetime final observation scripture way up here now let's get back to brass tacks you and me right here right now i want to suggest that the questions and the doubt the, the you have heard it said, but I say unto you, even disagreement at times, is necessary for us to remain open to the emerging work of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Questions and doubt in the spiritual life are necessary. They, they, they have to be present if we're going to be open to the new and emerging work of the Holy Spirit among us. Think about this, friends. If we were not open to Jesus you have heard it said, but I say unto you, where would we be on cosmology? Because the church burned people at the stake for saying that the world was not flat. You have heard it said. And a guy named Galileo and Copernicus came along and said, but I say unto you. And it turns out they were right. Where would we be? If, we, if, if, if on, uh, you know, Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, where would we be on, on, on slavery? Because the church said, you have heard it said, that the Bible affirms and allows for and even endorses. But prophets came along and said, but I say unto you, the likes of Rosa Parks and Dr. Martin Luther King and many others, where would we be on patriarchy? If we, if we were settled with, you have heard it said. Ladies, are you glad that we're committed to Jesus' teachings? But I say unto you, where would we be on right any number of things? So I want to suggest that the Holy Spirit has been and is, continues to be at work, right here, right now, in our midst as the church. We have not arrived. We have not come to the end. We have not found all of the conclusions so if we're to be open to the emerging work of the holy spirit among us then questions and doubt even the dissenter the one who doesn't agree we have to we have to learn how to hold that as a community of people because when we push those people and those voices to the edge we run the risk when we don't allow them to remain among us we run the risk of Stifling and quieting and silencing what's possibly, excuse me, the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. If the church said to those people who called question on the flatness of the earth or how we treat our brother and sister, that would have been tragic and awful, and we would have missed on some of the new and fresh work that the Spirit of God wanted to do in the church. Amen? Now, there's a way we do that that is honorable to each other, that's uh, where where the community is safe to be a part of, even when there are folks with different opinions from one another, commitments to our, our sort of relational life together, but we cannot stifle or silence... Minority voices or dissenting voices or people who are asking questions about, well, could it be this or might it be more? And I'll, I'll close with this. I want to offer just a, a, a small um, report. Um, I, I had a meeting on Friday, and some of you probably are wondering how that went. So before I share about that, I, there's one quote I'd like to just show you. And this comes from uh, a paper written in 1963 that I Uh, I love, and I'm so grateful for, uh, our our denomination that we're a part of commissioned this group of people to write, to study, to discern together the the, um, tension between, the balance between biblical authority and Christian freedom. And this is one of the things that they said. Christian vitality has not always been maintained by the majority. Amen. We can see that in history. It has, in fact, often been found only in small minorities. Such minorities have no voice where conformity to official interpretations is required. Unless we wish to stifle emergent spiritual vitality, we must be sure that people within our fellowship will be free to express themselves in ways which are different from the majority position without fear of being labeled disloyal. Okay? So, Awaken finds itself in a minority position. Our church wrote and adopted a statement about including all people, regardless of race, gender, class, sexual orientation, that specifically related to sexual orientation, that there is no ceiling or limit for folks who identify as queer at Awaken. You can serve, you can lead if you're called to serve and lead, period. That's a minority position in our denomination. And I recently acted in that conviction and married a couple from our church uh, and was suspended for my actions. So September 23rd, I think it was, I was suspended as an ordained minister in the covenant. I was told not to, uh, no pastoral duties at any covenant church here, Awaken, or any other, and that I'm banned from the premises of our church. I know that I've broken a rule. I wrote a letter, our board wrote a letter objecting to the terms of the suspension because the same thing would be told if a pastor embezzled money, molested a child, was in, you know, had an affair with some sub to somebody else's spouse, was a danger to their community or themselves, that that letter would be given to that pastor and rightfully so. And when a church says to the denomination, please help us, protect us from our pastor. That letter would be sent to that pastor. No ministry, you're bu- you're banned from the premises of the church. I argue, our, our board argued, like, listen, this is a theological disagreement, and according to our history, there's some precedence here on how we do life together, and this is not that. Uh, so I met with our board of ordered ministry, who oversees credentials, uh, and my ordination on Friday. And we had a conversation about this matter. And why I've chosen to continue to pastor and be here. Why our board agreed with that and supported that. And uh, I was hoping for, you know, uh, some kind of compromise. Listen, I know I broke the rule. And sometimes you got to break a rule to like raise the conscience of, of, of the group. To say, I think this isn't the right rule. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. And sometimes you have to break a rule in order to like wake people up. So I broke the rule, and I'm willing to do, go through the process. But to like say you can't pastor the church that supports you, come on, we can do better than that. I, I was a lot more coll- collegial and uh, uh, kind. Um, and in the end, um, they, just, they didn't see it the way we see it. And so um, the disposition of the, the board is that I remain fully suspended from all ministry and uh, will meet with the Board of Ordered Ministry in January. And if, between now and then, I defy the terms of the suspension, that they will be forced to, and I would argue, you will choose to, but semantics, right? They will be forced to recommend the removal of my ordination at the annual meeting in June. So that, my friends, is where we are. Clearly, I am committed to, uh, well, a number of things, but I'm here. So that's, uh, and, and I, I, will, I will also say that this is a unanimous board-like decision that we've made together. We've had many conversations about uh, and have decided together that this is the path that, that we choose to go. And, you know, it likely will have consequences. And we'll see how that goes. But I wanted to update you. Many of you were praying for me. Uh, thank you for the support. Uh, many of you sent sent messages. And, and I'm so grateful. Not only for your love and care. But to be a part of a church that um, is willing to do the hard work of leaning in to go, going further and deeper into what does it mean to be the people of God in 2021, in America, where we know what we know now, not what we knew in 2004 or 1994 or 1904, right? But that the work of God and the Spirit of God is moving and alive, and we want to be, like, in on that movement. And sometimes that means it challenges some of the ways that we've thought before. So I think this message is somewhat appropriate for today. And I thought, it's a bit ironic that today we talk about, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And I'll, I'll close with this. Um, I met with the Board of Order Ministry on Friday, which was the 5th of November. For some of you, you may know the movie V for Vendetta. And there's a phrase in that movie that says, remember, remember, the 5th of November. And it just so happens that what the reference is, is a historical moment in Britain, in England, where r- religious revolutionaries who were tired of the tyrants running the show uh, put 63 cans or bottles or barrels, 63 barrels of gunpowder underneath the houses of parliament and to blow up the houses of parliament because they were tired of the tyranny. So November the 5th is the celebration of Guy Fawkes Day. And I met with the Board of Order Ministry on November the 5th. I planted no barrels of gunpowder anywhere. <laughs> and it turns out that they all, they all got caught and they, had, they, they died. <laughs> the religious revolutionaries, they were all strung up and quartered and sent to the four corners of the earth. They died a very terrible death. But I just thought it was ironic and a bit humorous that it was November the 5th that they brought me in to question Um, And so I say viva la revolution or whatever that French phrase is, you know, Um, because because, uh, when somebody says, well, I'm committed to and I think our church is committed to recognizing the humanity of anyone and everybody who walks through these doors and to offering them the opportunity to follow Jesus and be in relationship with Jesus and to find life in the church and that's that's what I'm committed to and that's what we're committed to Um, and so I'm so grateful for you and um, for our time together week in and week out and who we are and who we're becoming Um, so that is all I have to say this morning Uh, can I offer a word of prayer and um, give you an opportunity to To be silent for a moment and then we'll respond with communion and song so let's do that together god today we uh we gather in this place which we declare as holy because you are present with us and so metaphorically and maybe even actually we we take off our shoes because the ground upon which we stand is holy we're grateful for your presence god we we could not We could not be your people without your spirit's presence among us Uh, with any one of us even the best of leaders with the best of intentions uh, it seems to always turn in on ourselves and so we desperately need your holy spirit's guidance we long for we ask for we plead with you do not leave us alone but guide us lead us show us the path that is that leads to life, that leads to flourishing and wholeness for, for humans and for the earth and for the world that we live in. So God, we, we come to you this morning with, um, with longing hearts and um, degrees of openness and, and desires to see and hear you, and we take just the next few moments of silence for you to speak and find us where we are invite us to whatever is next. You know, friends, I think sometimes uh, life has this way of uh, like deadening our senses to the fact that all around you is dripping with the sacred presence of the and change diapers it just like beats it out of us sometimes that the presence of God is as near as the breath that you just took so I hope that part of my job and our job is weekly to remind you of that fact that the life you're living is sacred it is not mundane I hope that you leave today encouraged and reminded. It's a beautiful world out there. It's heartsome.
0: Find us online at
1: www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community or on Twitter at Community. See you next time.